0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Faithbrook Church. My name is Les Hamilton. I serve as one of the elected board members here at Faithbrook. If you're worshiping with us online or here in person, we're so glad that you're here. uh, And we're just excited to be together. Um, If you're newer to Faithbrook, you may be wondering what we do, why we do it. Um, If you'd like to know a little bit more right after service today, up here in the front, we're going to have a discovery. Now, a discovery is a great chance for you to kind of sit down with the lead pastor to maybe understand what we do and why we do that, to learn about our history, our mission, our vision, and have the opportunity to really get to know you as well. So Faith our our mission here is to love God, love people, and journey together. And one of the ways that we can do that, and one of the opportunities that the men of the church are going to have the opportunity to do that, is on February 3rd and 4th, which is a Friday night and a Saturday morning, um, we'll be hosting our very first ever man camp. And you do have to say it that way, man camp, because it has more meaning when you say it that way. Um, so this will be an opportunity for us to kind of get together, to have some fun, eat together, learn uh, have some fun. We're going to be playing some floor hockey, go to the gun range, that kind of thing. Um, so guys, if you are interested, or ladies, if you would like to sign up your guys for, to have a free weekend you can do that by going to our website or uh, going to the Church Center app and signing up there. Uh, We're so excited to really invest in our men here at Faithbrook, uh, and we're excited to have this opportunity for man camp. Um, So now I'd like to welcome Jim Comfort to the stage for week two of our five-question series. Do you ever
1: use questions just to uh, check in with significant people in your life? Uh, you know, kind of common questions like, how are you doing? How was your day? Sometimes it's like, uh, where are you at, right? Sometimes we need questions that are a little deeper. Hey, are, are, are you doing okay? Or uh, what's going on? Well, I could tell something's not right. What, what's going on? Sometimes there might be more uh, of a tense uh, questions like, uh, do you love me? Uh, Where are we at in our relationship? See, these questions that we use from, hey, how are you doing, all the way to, are you doing okay, are kind of cues to what the status is in that relationship. They're kind of markers when we ask questions and we get a return answer of, of where we're at. And if we use these questions well, they can draw that relationship closer to each other. Well, Speaking of questions, welcome to our second part of this series, Five Questions. And we are looking at the five questions Jesus used to develop and mature his disciples. And I would suggest to you that these questions that Jesus used for his disciples transformed their lives and eventually would transform the world. And that's why I'm excited for you being here uh, in person or in, on our internet watching us as we are discovering these five questions that can actually transform our lives if they're done well. Now, if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, his, his career, Jesus was really good at questions. I encourage you all to watch The Chosen TV series. Uh, you'll really get an insight on just the personality of Jesus I, thought, I think is really accurate. And Jesus was not always just forceful. Uh, he did preaching. He did some teaching for sure. But he was a gentle man. He was a gentle God that just developed people. And one of the ways was just always asking these questions. In fact, if he was ever attacked by questions, he would kind of respond with a question back. And and that's how he kind of developed people. And this is where we're going this month in this series of these five questions. Now, last week, we looked at one of the questions that he asked at the Last Supper. After he washed the disciples' feet, he said this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? Well, some were like, yes, you washed our feet. Some people, oh, you're modeling for us how we need to take the posture of a servant and humility. But we can use that question to even deepen our life and be transformed. Do you understand what I've done for you? So personally, you can use this question maybe in your life groups or in your family. Hey, let's take a moment. Just think about what has God done for us? What has he done for us eternally? What has he done for us spiritually? We did this the other night in our youth group, right? And some youth were like, yes, he went to the cross. He died on the cross. Yes. Others said, yes, he created us. These are great answers. Yes. And before you know it, you start worshiping. He's done some things personally for us, any blessings. If he's the heavenly father, sometimes he gifts us us things. He provides for us. There's some pleasures in life. All these good things come from him. We can take it a little deeper. God, what have you done in me? Have I really noticed, is God transforming me? Am I changing? Am I evolving? Am I maturing in my life? Another one is, has God done anything through me? Do I understand? Maybe God did use me at work this week. Maybe I was the good Samaritan this week. And just to pause and to reflect on that question, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I'm doing around you? Do you understand what I'm doing in you? It's a great question. Now, we're going to come to our second question this week. And this comes out of Matthew 16. Now, Jesus has been traveling with his followers, his disciples for over a year now. He's trying to, to get them convinced that he is the son of God. That he is the son of man. He's the Messiah. He is the one that the prophets were teaching them all their lives. That this, this God himself, the son of David, is going to come and, and he's in flesh walking with them. So in Matthew 16, they enter into a new territory, Caesarea and Philippi. And so when they go into the New Testament, they kind of set up a little camp someplace, and his disciples go into town, and they're collecting supplies and listening in this new territory, getting to know the the situation. So they, they come back, and they kind of huddle up. And here Jesus wants to train them, disciple them, teach them. And so he asks this question. Well, who do the people say the son of man is. In other words, who, who did you hear that, that uh, they were talking about me? The People knew that he was coming to the region. And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, you're Jeremiah or one of the, the prophets, yes. But here's where he wanted to go with this. But what about you? This was what was important to him. Who do you say that I am? And this is the second most, uh, one of the most important questions that we can entertain in our life. See, in that situation right there, Jesus is trying to see where they're at. He's, he's asking these connecting questions. Are you getting it? Uh, where do you think I rank in your life? How important? Am I just some religious leader? Am I some teacher, some mystical man? Or I am the great I am. Am I the son of God? The great Messiah in your life, and so he's looking for the responses. He's reading their 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 answers and and trying to figure out do they get it. It's been some times where he's been trying to show them by his miracles that I might talk this way and say I am, but I'm going to back it up with miracles, that I am the great I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world, the Son of God. He would teach him to say, when you see me, you see the Father. We are one, the Father in the flesh. Well, Simon Peter comes through, and he answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Man, Peter nailed it. Peter crushed it. He, he got it. Uh, Jesus wanted to hear that. He loved Peter. He's investing in Peter. And somewhere there was a transformation and transaction that Peter said, Yes, I believe that you are God, and you're the God of my life. Something spiritually sunk deep into Peter's heart and soul that Jesus was now going to be his cornerstone, his all in all. And so Jesus replies with, blessed are you. Blessed are you, son of Jonah. Yes, you have no idea, Peter, what I'm going to do in your life because you got it. You just wasn't following me out of tradition or curiosity. That it's real in your life. And he goes on, verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is where the Roman Catholic Church gets the tradition of of a pope, that they... Grab a hold of these scriptures and say, well, uh, God ordained the, the, the leader of the Christian church was Peter. And when he passed on, there would be another Peter because this would be that this person uh, in our tradition that it goes past just one man. It goes to all the disciples. It goes to everyone who that God wants to build something strong in your life that you can be a rock because Jesus is the rock. I love the word rock in Greek. It's called Petra. And in, the, in those ancient days, especially in the Middle East, rocks were so important. Uh, they built things with rock. They didn't wash away. They didn't deteriorate. They were just stable. You could count on a rock. And so Jesus uses that verb. and says, Peter, on this rock, my, my countenance, my personality, the, the kingdom of God will be built on you and through you. Psalms 18 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Jesus would teach in the Sermon on the Mount about the wise builder. The wise builder builds his house or his home, or I would say his life, on the rock. The foolish builder builds his home and his life on the sand. Everybody likes the sand. It's cheaper, it's easier, it's by the ocean, right? But when the storms come, And life doesn't cooperate, man. Those homes can be broken and crushed. But the wise person builds his life on the cornerstone, on the rock. And here he says, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I like the word, we'll build. I believe God gives us all the opportunity to build our life on him. Sometimes we choose not to build our life on him. But later when we realize he gives us a chance to rebuild our life on him. And whatever you bind, I'm going to be with you. Now, this parallels John 15. This is not just for Peter, but John 15. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it will be done. God is looking for a partnership here. God knows that the world is broken, so he's really asking these questions sometimes to his disciples and his followers, like, who do you say that I am? Because I need someone that's going to be on the, the force of good. Uh, there is brokenness and hurt and damage and sin and regret. Who are going to be the people that says, yeah, we're going first with you. And we're going to try to redeem this broken world. And God says, man, if that's your heart, that's my heart. And I'm going to be on your side. And there's going to be some, some miracles and some things that happen through and in your life if you want to join me in my work. And so that's why this, this question is so important to the disciples. He's like, okay, I, I've been with him for over a year. Who do you say that I am? I know your neighbors and your friends and your parents think this and this but I want to know who what you think I am. It's very personal. It's personal for us. Jesus asked this question. Yes, you you have people have opinions but who do you say that I am? I think if you ask most people out there uh, who do you say Jesus is? Uh, many people, maybe at your work, universities, I don't know. They'd say, Oh, I, he's a religious teacher, good man. People probably think high of, of Jesus. He just kind of stacks up there with other religious leaders, Mohammed, Buddha, Gandhi, kind of this thing. Um, sometimes, Oh, he's that guy up, the big man upstairs, right? But to really pin him down for him to be God, the Messiah. The, the, the Lord, right? Ah, that's another level, right? We'd rather kind of like play it safe, right? Just kind of like, just take it easy and, and not get too radical, specific on who Jesus is, especially in our life. But when, G- when Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, he knows for this Jewish man, there was a cost, there was a change. Because the rest of his tribe, the rest of his heritage, they didn't believe in this guy from Nazareth. He was just some kind of different wacko guy. And for him to say, yes, I'm putting my trust in you. You are the son of God. I, I believe that. That was a change. There would be a cost. And what Peter's saying, there's no other. You're the rock. There's only the, what you are, the way, the truth, and the life. It's through you. And so this is why Jesus is digging with the disciples, and this is why Jesus wants us to ask that question, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus is not interested in just being a religious leader. He's not looking for you to just say, well, you know, I, I, I go to church, and I believe in church, and my, my family members are kind of uh, Christians, and, and uh, this is kind of my opinion. He's, he wants you to get more specific. It's a defining question. Yes, I, I know we have all these pluralism, and options, and many paths to one God, but we need to know, who am I to you? This is very important. In fact, this series was inspired by uh, two disciples of Christ, Hal and Tony Perkins, and in their book, Discipled by Jesus, she writes, what we think about Jesus determines what we think he thinks about us. What we think he thinks about us determines what we think about ourselves. What we think about ourselves determines a lot of times how we feel about ourselves. And how we feel about ourselves determines how we relate and treat other people. I would submit to you that this question is a profound question. Who do you say that I am? In fact, it can be transformational in our life, especially at the beginning of this new year, we have choices, how we view life, what we do in this life. And God wants to partner with us, and he wants us to allow him to be the first place in our life, because God wants to give us things, first of all, salvation from our sins, that eventually will translate into eternal life in heaven with him. But he wants us to receive his love, his acceptance, his power. And when Jesus becomes our cornerstone, He becomes our true north. He helps us in all circumstances and, and He heals us and, and comforts us. But a lot of times we have to come to that, that answer who is Jesus in our life? So, maybe to help you this morning, I'm gonna give you a couple of categories that might give us a little bit of, of, of boundaries of where kind of people uh, lay. A lot of times, there's the one category of people that that Jesus has no place. He's he's not that big a deal, and he's just kind of mysterious. And I'm gonna kind of show that with a, a little stick of incense. Uh, he, he he's he's not very concrete. Let's keep that going there. Well, wow. right? Yeah, yeah I'll keep going there. So you, you just can't kind of categorize God. Nor do you want to, because you, you you know you don't really want to have boundaries and moral rules and stuff like that. So it's kind of easier to say, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really paid attention to God. He's not that important to me, especially Jesus. And so, but but I'm not an atheist. I'm not a bad person. I just really don't have any formation in my life. Uh, and, and it's just kind of easier that way that I think there's somebody out there, but I haven't really paid much attention to him. And hopefully it's good, some kind of natural God some, somewhere. That's kind of the, 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 the category of, of Jesus has no place. And a lot of times we prefer not to be pinned down. We prefer just to have just kind of open ended opinion philosophies of, of who this God is. The, the second category is, is I would say maybe that, that Jesus has second place. These are what I would call traditional Christians, right? Here's a nice, beautiful little Christian book for kids, and and a lot of second place, uh, Christ's second place is where our parents uh, took us to church. They taught us the things of Jesus, and if you someone asked you, "Who do you think Jesus is? Do you believe in Jesus?" and you would say, "Oh yes, I believe in Jesus. This is my family's faith, right? I I, I go to church on Easter and Christmas and." I'm not against God at all. I, I kind of believe it. I'm 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 a, I'm not a Muslim and not a Buddhist. I, I, I'm a, I'm a Christian. That's 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 what I am, and and I'm for Jesus, and and that's good. But but really, God God is not first place in my life. I'm really not paying attention to the Bible. In fact, I don't know if I agree with all the Ten Commandments. You know, let's not get too radical here. But but I would say kind of I'm I'm kind of a soft Christian traditionalist. Yes, I believe in Jesus, and a lot of people uh, are kind of in this category, and some people are in the first place of in their life with Christ, and I would call uh, use this this stone or this cornerstone to symbolize the importance of who Christ is somewhere. They 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 transition and made decisions that Christ was going to be the first place in their life. It, it, this when you get to this stage in your life, Jesus becomes very personal to you. Everything is kind of built around Jesus. Uh, in fact, a cornerstone, as Peter said, a cornerstone is laid as a foundation for a building. Everything is lined up with that cornerstone. It's the the, the, the carries the weight. It's the most important element of that building. And this. It's who Christ can be in our life, first place. His love, his principles, you you start reading the Bible, Uh, the Bible is going to be now your manual for life, your relationship, your decisions, uh, what you do, you don't do, it's all through the manual of the Bible. Uh, And this is what Jesus is looking for, um, that he becomes first place. For maybe those disciples who were following him, some were maybe not followers of any religion. Some of them were, yeah, they were Jewish young men. But somewhere when he asked them, who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the rock, you're the son of God, he made it to that place in his heart, in his mind, that God was going to be first in his life. You know, I remember growing up, I I would confess I was probably... Christ was kind of second place. I was a traditionalist Christian. My parents drugged me the church. Uh, they read me the Bible, right? My Sunday school teachers taught me about Sunday school. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm there. But really, Christ wasn't first place in my, in my life. I was first place in my life. I, I wasn't a bad person. I tried to do right. But I wanted to run, run, my, run my life until someone confronted me with that question. Hey, Jim, I, I know you're there. I know you believe in in Jesus, right? You even like Jesus. But who do you say he is? Is he second place or is he first place in your life? And and honestly, you know, my, my life wasn't going that well. On the outside, you couldn't tell it, but on the inside, it was shaky. There was sin. There was regrets. And finally, Christ penetrated my heart, and I said yes to him. And put him in the first place in my life. And things started changing. Slowly but surely, God started building my life for the good. And and I started trusting God and God started building in me. Now that doesn't mean I was called in the ministry. I had no idea about going into ministry, never saw myself as, as a pastor. I, I went into college, and, and I started reading the Bible more, started praying more, started engaging more, volunteering more, worshiping more, because Jesus was now my my cornerstone. Everything was going to reside around him, and and, and pretty soon, as I graduated from uh, college and went into business, and I really had a, a an appetite to maybe attract another female. Maybe we could maybe get married one day, right? So I, I was doing a dating thing, but... Privately, personally, I was looking for someone who had Jesus as their cornerstone. So we'd go out on dates and, and uh, talk a little bit, and I'd ask these questions, you know, because my heart was full of Christ. And, and I uh, introduced to this young lady named Terry. She was from St. Louis, right? And we went on a couple of dates, and, and so I'm asking her, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Do you go to church? What about the Bible? And pretty soon I discovered that Jesus was her cornerstone. And that really attracted me. Plus, she was kind of pretty. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so we started dating. And I knew her heart was full of Christ in the cornerstone. Our values were the same. It wasn't so much how pretty we were or our bank account or successful. It was the hardcore Jesus Christ was going to be in our hearts. And so we were married, and we put those together, and that Jesus Christ was going to be the cornerstone of our life and our home no matter what. It's kind of funny. We've had two children, right? And uh, pretty soon when they get to be teenagers, they start realizing that something's a little bit different than everybody else, right? And they're like, we operate a little bit different. You guys have some convictions. You have some principles. We don't do what everyone else does. Why is that? And we're like, because when we were younger, your mom and dad made up their mind that Jesus was going to be first. We got together, and so... Sorry, that's the way we operate, right? For the good and the bad, you're going to have to come to that conclusion in your life if Christ was going to um, be first. You know, what we discovered is that putting Christ um, first leads us to a highly satisfied life. Is when we put Christ first, there's no more tension between us and God, that there is peace. Christ has forgiven us. There's no more mystery We now have an identity. We now have a security. We now have a Holy Spirit that helps us in our sadness and our disappointments. We can easily uh, forgive easier now because Christ forgave us. We can manage the pressures and the tensions and the changes because Christ is our cornerstone. And there is some satisfaction that comes in our life. That's why I am so passionate about this church, to help lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. Because I think it's one of the highest quality of lives when you start living by God's principles. There's much fewer re- uh, regrets. There's much more uh, drama and problems in your relationship because Christ is your anchor. Christ is what you sift things through in his word that he teaches us and changes us and, and takes the edge off of our lives. It can be very satisfying in your life. That's why Jesus is asking these guys, guys, I need to know where you're at. Who do you say that I am? Because this can transform you. It can transform our neighborhoods. It can transform our communities. Because what we think about Jesus will determine how, how we think about God. And what we think about Jesus will determine how he thinks about us. Oh, this is how Jesus thinks about me. This is what is written in the word of God. And this will determine how we think about ourselves. Yes, we become more secure. We become more confident. We become people of, of peace and grace and, and confidence and power. And when we think about Jesus, will eventually determine how we think and treat others. It changes us. And God wants us to build our lives on him. That's why we're passionate here at Faithbrook, to build into the next generation Because it's in those younger years where they're going to make life choices. And I was fortunate enough to younger to build my life on Christ. And it's been so uh, beneficial. But maybe if we haven't built our life when we're younger, God can always help us rebuild our life. Because this is what I've discovered. Is that things will let us down, but the rock of Jesus Christ will not. Guess what? There's a good chance that the Vikings are going to let us down in the next couple of weeks, Right? The stock market's maybe going to let us down. Our work might let us down. Our friends might let us down. Our spouse might let us down. Our health might let us down. But there is a Christ and a Jesus who will not let us down. And we have a choice. To say, God, you are the Messiah of my life. You are the Son of God. I'm not gonna live in this tradition. I'm not gonna live in my parents' faith. I'm gonna live in my faith with you. I'm not gonna just kind of hang out here in this mystery that you're coming some vapor and I think you're out there and, and, and we'll, we'll make it somehow, some way. But you are my rock. Jesus taught seek his kingdom, and his righteousness first, and all these other things will be added to you. I, I found this to be true. I submit this to you. It's a command and a promise. Jesus says, and you put me first, and my righteousness and my things and my mindset, then I got your back. I will provide for you. I will cover you. I will help you through all things. See, somewhere, God is prod- prodding us with this question. 2,000 years ago, he asked his disciples, but now he asks us, Where are you at? Who do you say that I am? Do I have little place in your life? Do I have maybe a, a traditional place in your life? Or am I first place in your life? Am I your rock? And Christ wants us to learn and experience that putting him first leads to a highly satisfied life. Yes, things will change in your life when you put him first your priorities, your values, your views will change. God's gonna ask you not to to have your life all about you. There's gonna be some offenses that come your way. There's gonna be some hurts that come your way. There's gonna be some sacrifices that come your way and you're going to change on behalf of him because he's been discipling you, he's been molding you. You've been reading about his way. Sometimes there's a cost. There is a cost sometimes, especially socially. Because the same things, uh, the people that you might know or friends, they don't do what you do or don't do. They have different priorities, different values. And you're like, you know, I, that's just not me. And pretty soon you can kind of even be ostracized. And, and some people might call you radical. And some people might call you weird, right? And that's not for me, right? There might be a cost. But how high is a cost when you don't have the creator and the cornerstone in your life? How high a cost will it be when you come to the end of your life and you will face, and Jesus will ask you, What did you do with me? What did you say that I was? And you're like, Well, I, I don't know. I didn't want to really be pinned down. And there's a lot of philosophies, right? And he'd say, Well, I, I believed you. I, I went to church when I was a kid and I, I, I wasn't against you, Jesus. He's an asses. Where did I stand? And we'll be confronted now or be confronted later with that question. Who do you say that I am? I ran across an article of a mom of a college student that was confronted with this issue. Where did God stand in her life? It was written in an article by Richard Kurtz. And Richard said, many of us know what it's like to lose someone we love. But very few of us have any idea what it's like to lose an only child to a murderer's bullet. Kurtz went on, Marion Hammerin knows what this is like. It was not an easy story to tell me. In some ways, it's not an easy story to hear. Miriam and her daughter, Caitlin, were very close. Marion lived and worked and breathed for her daughter, Caitlin. But that ended suddenly on the morning of April 16th, 2007, at Virginia Polytech Institution, when Caitlin and 31 other were killed and shot by a mass murder. When Mr. Kurt asked Miriam about her faith journey through all this and her experience, this is how she responded. Miriam said, I'll give you a little bit of my background and then tell you the story, because this has been a very hard, hard road. I was born and raised a Catholic, and yet I would say I was a disinterested Catholic. I really didn't care about the church or really Christ, but, but I was a Catholic. I preferred putting Christ first. I didn't really think about it. He wasn't that important in my life. But then she went on and said, Sometimes God has to scream to get our attention. And that scream was the loss of my child. Kurtz wrote, The months after the Virginia Tech shooting was extremely difficult for Miriam. Sometimes she didn't eat or sleep for days. She lost faith, she lost hope, she lost weight, she lost interest in her job. And everything around her, and it was exhausting for her husband, Chris. Then something happened that proved to be a turning point for Marion. Marion was in the back of back of her home in the woods, in the depths of the loss of her grief. Marion said, I was mourning and I was angry, very angry. And back in those woods behind my house, I started crying out and yelling at God, saying things like, you know, I taught her to trust you. I was furious, Marion says, because I believed that I told my daughter, Caitlin, that God would take care of everything and God would be with her at college. And how did that work? I raised her to believe and trust in you. And where the heck were you that day? It was getting ugly, Marion said. I was yelling and screaming, crying. I would say to God, I need to see her. I need to hear her laugh again. I need to see her smile again. I need to see her. And suddenly, Marion said, something caught my eye. And I turned, and there, about 15 feet next to me, was a deer, just a doe standing there. I stopped yelling. I looked at the deer. The deer turned his head, looked around, and then the deer looked straight at me and cocked his head. There was silence, peacefulness. What ran through my mind was, what are you doing here, deer? I'm here fussing and making a a big fuss, and you're just standing there? Usually deer run away from any human, let alone all this noise and screaming, but the deer just was there. I don't know where the deer came from. Nobody just stood there looking. And that deer, she said, stop me enough to shut me up. And on that quiet morning in that grove of trees, a clear thought came into my soul and my mind. It said, you will see her again. Absolutely, you will see her again. But you will have to go through me first. Marion said, I wasn't thinking that at that time. I was not even capable of hearing from God. I had hardly had a relationship with God. But that voice, that thought came to me, you will absolutely see her, but you will have to go through me first. She says, you know, I don't even remember the deer coming or leaving, but that deer stopped me long enough to hear God's voice. Kurtz in the article said that that experience turned Marion to God and the Bible. A friend started helping her discover the Bible and some other uh, Christian books that drew her closer to God. She said that her life until that point was too focused on her daughter and not God. She said, quote, My day began and ended with Caitlin. I realized that Caitlin had become my God. And now my God was gone. So I needed to rely on something else. She continued, it's been quite a journey from thinking about Caitlin all the time. And now I think a lot about Jesus. Now I realize that my journey is not over, but at least I know on that day, when my day comes, I will see Jesus and he is first. And then I will ask him, can I see Caitlin? And I'm so looking forward to seeing she said, I'd like people to know that God wants to speak to us. Sometimes God speaks subtly, sometimes he speaks surprisingly. I'm starting to now realize his, recognize his voice, she said. See, Marion Hamron made a shift. It was a tragedy to lose her daughter. But in that tragedy, God came to her. And he also pointed out, Miriam good things can come your way including seeing your daughter but it's going to come through me first maybe this message is kind of touching your heart maybe it's a new year new start and we might have to contemplate about that question of where god stands with us where does jesus stand with this? is it is kind of a myth and we haven't really paid attention to him and it's a nice idea but we don't really care or or we say, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Jesus. I, I b- believe in Jesus, but he's not that important to me. Or maybe he's my rock. I'm trying to live through him and on him and live by his power. So it can be a decision today where Christ is in your life. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come and lead us in a song. It's about building our life, building um, our life on Christ. We're going to give you an opportunity to sing this song, and it can be a prayer in your heart as you sing this this song. Where Where is Christ? Is, is he important to you? Do you want him his, and his spirit to work through you, to, that he would be the rock in your life, and that his blessings would help even bless other people to build your life on him? Let's give God some space this morning. For the next couple of minutes, in the middle of the song, I'm going to come back, and we're going to give you a chance to respond and make a decision. And maybe through this, God has just kind of been speaking to your heart. It's just kind of coming to to realize, yeah, I'm, I'm over here, and I probably need to be over here, and this is the year, this is the day, this is the moment that I need to put Christ first in my life. I'd encourage you to close your eyes and maybe just give God some attention right now. If you may just, maybe you're watching online by yourself in your home. If you just bow your head, close your eyes and think with me that Jesus was in your presence and asked you, yes, I know what everyone else thinks, but who do you say that I am? Where am I at in your life? Where do I rank? Am I first place? Maybe today God is calling you to take that courageous act to put him first place in your life. If there's some regrets and sin in your life, God's grace is running towards you to forgive and cover those sins. A simple, sincere prayer of God, forgive me. I've done wrong. Wash away my sins, my past. I want to be made new in you. And I want to put you first place, that you become my rock. You become my cornerstone to abide with you. By faith, God, I want to make that leap. By faith, I make that declaration. By faith, I make that commitment to you, God, that you would be my rock, my cornerstone, direct my life. Build my in a moment the team is going to sing these words I will build my life upon your love it's a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you you alone and I will not be shaken there is no one like you I want to encourage anyone here that that is your prayer I want to build my life on you Uh, your love. There is no one like you. You're going to be first place. You're going to be center of my life. I'm going to encourage you just to have the courage while people are just in their own space, their heads bowed, just to stand during this, this anthem, this declaration to say, that's me, God. I want you to forgive me. I want you to be first place in my life. And I'm going to have the courage to stand right where I am. Maybe you did this Several years ago, and you can just reaffirm that, recommit God, build my life upon you, your love, your foundation. I put my trust in you, you alone.